We are in the midst of this series in 1 Samuel, and uh, we've been looking at, at this, this lady named Hannah and, and her faithfulness to uh, give to God the child that he granted her with, that she, she prayed for. And, and that was her prayer, that if you will give me a child, I will, I will return him to you. And uh, we'll look today specifically at, at the faithfulness of, of her as, as she continues to sort of, uh, I'll use the word deal, but continues to live out the consequences of, of that commitment and when we see her faithfulness. I think probably all of us, we want to be thought of, if you're a Christian and a believer, you want to be thought of as, as faithful, don't you? I mean, you want to think that I, I strive to be faithful to God. Uh, but probably when you think of faithfulness, probably other than yourself, you're probably just not the first example of faithfulness that comes to your mind. Most of us, most of us just don't have that high of a view of ourselves. But you probably have someone in your mind that you think of, to me, this person sort of embodies faithfulness. There's a lady I remember from, from my youth named Miss Lucy. And Miss Lucy was the church clerk at the church that I was baptized in. And, uh, you know, I don't know, the church clerks are just, faithfulness kind of goes with that job. You remember our, our previous clerk, Natalie Ivey, and, and I think of Miss Lucy, and, and then I think of our, our current church clerk, Susie Keeney. Susie, she must have went with the youth, huh? I don't see her. Uh, Miss Lucy, for me, embodied sort of Susie's sweetness and Natalie's extrovertedness, I guess. I mean, she was just a combination of that, and, and that's who she was, and, and she, she had both those characteristics. And uh, I still remember her, you know, when we would have, this was the day before cell phones and, and text messages and emails, and so really the, the prayer list, we have a prayer list at our church, but really the thing that has taken that place is, is email, things like that. Everybody knows uh, people on the prayer list through, through email nowadays, and and we didn't have that back then. And I remember her dutifully sitting at, at a wooden table, you know, during prayer meeting. And it would take her time to, to mark through people and update people. And, and she would always know, anytime the pastor needed to know what's, what's going on with so-and-so, she was the person, well, ask Miss Lucy. Miss Lucy just knew. That's who she was. And, and she was faithful. Uh, she knew everyone. She was faithful to know everyone in the church, from the nursery to the, the older kids to the youth. And, and the people that were in her senior adult ministry called the Gold Timers. That's a good name for senior adult ministry, isn't it? The Gold Timers. And one of my favorite memories I have of Miss Lucy involves her encouraging me to teach Sunday school for the first time as, as a senior in high school. Uh, our youth minister had, had stepped down. He was a part-time youth minister, kind of like the youth ministers we have. And uh, it was, you know, nothing had happened. It was just time for him to sort of move on into his next uh, full-time ministry role, and, and he's actually still serving in that role that he moved on to. And uh, as he stepped down, another person, sort of a, a lay person in the church, took the role of, of teaching the youth Sunday school and, and taking care of us, uh, but he was a shift worker. Late, later, he would, he would have his own call to ministry, but at this point in his life, he was a shift worker, and, and when he had to work, his wife would take over teaching Sunday school and Wednesday nights and whatever needed to be done. Well... Uh, for this one period, it, it seemed like they were all out of pocket. He had, he'd had to work uh, some late shifts and, and was out of pocket on Sunday morning. And, and I think his wife had gotten the flu and, and their daughter was sick. And so they weren't sure what they were going to do. And, 
And I remember it was Miss Lucy that, that went to, to him. His name was Sean and said, have you thought about asking Matt to fill in teaching Sunday school? And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but as a senior in high school, to have someone like Miss Lucy, who was the head of the Gold Timers, to, to be able to look at her church and know that, that maybe she should ask this, this teenager. You know, a lot of the Gold Timers don't have anything to do with the teenagers, or, or they didn't in my church. And to know that he might benefit from this, and the youth might benefit from that. Man, to me, that spoke of, of a faithfulness. To not just go to church and not just do her own thing and not just be involved with her own people, but to be involved with her whole church family. And then a few years later, I served that same church as a youth intern for a summer. And the idea came up to do a backyard Bible club because when the youth ministry and the children's ministry looked at the church, we discovered that there were a lot of people in the church from outside of the neighborhoods surrounding it but not very many from those in the neighborhoods that were close to the church. And so uh, we had that idea. And, and one of the top supporters, I was surprised. I'm not surprised now looking back, but one of the top supporters was Miss Lucy. And, and she encouraged us and, and she, she brought things to that. And, and she did uh, just, 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 she was just faithful to that. And I think a lot of folks in, in her age didn't quite understand, well, why are we doing that? Why aren't we doing some of the, the other things that we used to do? So Miss Lucy was, was maybe one of my first examples of faithfulness. And I think of Hannah in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. That's going to be our text if you want to get your, your finger ready in your scripture. But I, I, I think of Hannah and, and the faithfulness that she displayed even after God blessed her with a child. We'll, we'll read in a moment how her family continued to go and continued to, to do sacrifices in Shiloh. And how Hannah was there to, even though, even though Samuel was not in her responsibility, she was still there kind of faithfully in, in the background. And she was, she was doing things and being faithful to her commitment. And in the midst of that, Hannah is blessed with five more children. God continues to bless her for her faithfulness. But in the midst of her faithfulness... We also have some other people in the story that we've been looking at. Eli and his sons. And we see faithlessness in their lives. And so their stories kind of contrast with one another in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 12. And the text should be coming on your screen if it's not there already. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests that whenever any, <clears throat> whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and he would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the, priests, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she was up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. 
Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my son, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and the people. So you see how you have part of the story, and it's Eli and his sons, and, and they're faithless. And then you see Samuel and Hannah, and they're faithful. And, and, and you just have their, their stories interweaving with one another. And I think about Hannah. I think about Miss Lucy. Whoever that person is that you think of when you think about faithfulness that has been that faithful example over time. And there's things that we can learn from their lives. And from the text, I, I see that, that one of the things that, that we learn that, that faithfulness to God can teach us is that it's not related to our position. Faithfulness is not rela related to, to who we are, to the place that we've got to in life, whether that even if that is a church position or, or, or a, a very highly esteemed position uh, in a job. Last week, I mentioned to you how different my children are. And if you ask Emily what she wants to be when she grows up, she'll tell you a teacher, a doctor and an astronaut. And uh, she, she may be. Who knows? But if you ask Luke, what do you want to be when you grow up? He'll say a daddy. For him, he, he associates being a dad with being an adult. Like once you become a dad, that's the pinnacle of adulthood for him in his mind right now. And so he'll say things like, well, when I'm a dad one day, I'll drive my own car. And I want to say, I hope you drive a car a little bit before you get to that point. I don't want to take care of you that long. Or one day when I'm a dad, I'll have my own house. And, and for him, that's what he understands being a dad to be. And so one day when he told me that, that he would be a daddy when he grew up, I became curious. Well, what does he really understand a dad to do? And so I said, well, Luke, what, what do daddies do? What do you think? And he thought for a moment. He said, oh, laugh and sing and go to church. And I thought, well, if that's all I had to do, that would be a great That'd be a great job as a dad, you know, I'd have, I'd have it made. And so I prodded him a little more and I said, well, is that it? I mean, do you think that's all that we do? Is there anything else that dads do? Uh, wash the dishes, maybe. I find it interesting that he didn't say anything like fix the fence or fix the car. Probably because he didn't see his own dad do that very often. But for him, being a dad, just some things automatically go with it, right? And we know that not all dads laugh and not all dads sing and not all dads go to church. It's, it's not automatic. But for him, in his mind, the role is like that. But, but we know as, as adults, the position that you get, even as a dad or as a mom or whatever, that, that doesn't guarantee anything. Whatever position you've obtained, parenthood or, or your job or your social status or service within church doesn't guarantee faithfulness to God. And it's, it's blatantly obvious 
through the sons of, of Eli. Hophni uh, and Phinehas is their names. It's not in the text. But in verse 12 on your screen, it says, it says they had no regard for the Lord. Literally, it could be translated, they didn't know the Lord. They, they were scoundrels, is what it says. And that's kind of ironic because their dad is, is the priest. Maybe this, this was the first case of, of the PK, the preacher's kids, not, not behaving well, I guess. But you think if anybody knew how to act, if anybody knew who God was, it should be these, these kids who, who had a dad that was a priest. And of course, we know that Eli is not the greatest priest from our text. But his position and their position as his children didn't guarantee anything. And I don't want to blame the whole thing on Eli because it's tempting, isn't it, when you see kids that aren't behaving and you think, oh, I wonder what their parents are teaching them at home, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes it is the parents. But, but as a parent, I know sometimes my kids do as much as I love them. Sometimes they don't act like I teach them to act, you know, and I sure would hope that someone doesn't see them misbehaving and think, and Matt and Michelle are horrible parents because their kids, the way they're acting, they, I don't know what they're teaching them at home. And so I don't think we can jump and blame Eli, even if he wasn't the most uh, sensitive priest when Hannah was praying and, and he thought that she was drunk. Hophni and Phinehas are described as demanding the sacrifices people brought to, be God, brought to God to be eaten in a way that was not what he prescribed. You remember, remember when they celebrated the Passover? They, they, this is where it comes from when they performed the sacrifice. They, they didn't roast the meat. They boiled it because they were to eat the meat quickly. They were to eat it in haste because the angel of death was going to pass over. And that's part of performing that sacrifice is, is recognizing that and recognizing God's faithfulness in the midst of a faithless time in Egypt. And, and, and they're changing that. And, and they're, they're roasting the meat instead of boiling it. Well, no wonder they don't know who the Lord is. They've totally changed up this ritual to reflect something else. They've lost sight of the importance of it. And even in the midst of their positions, they're not faithful to God. Now, our world teaches us that if you can obtain a position, doesn't it? If you can obtain a status. If people look at you a certain way, then, then you've achieved some level of... Of success. And, and I'm tempted to even believe myself, you know, like, well, gosh, surely, I mean, I'm not rich by any means, but I just have a lot of stuff that I'm thankful for. And it's tempting for me to believe that surely if God wasn't pleased with me, he wouldn't allow me to have the beautiful family that I have. He wouldn't allow me to have the, the friends that I have. He wouldn't allow me to, to know certain people and, 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 and just be blessed like I think that I am. If he was pleased with me, surely he wouldn't allow that. And we're tempted to think that we have our job or we have our thriving business or we have our family because we're faithful to God. But can you, can you imagine how that might preach at Mission Waco where the, the youth are this morning? You have what you have because you've been faithful to God. How, how would that fly with, with 300 people that gather under a bridge with, with homeless folks that have nothing? That very, way, very well may have been trying to be faithful to God. So we sang this morning, blessed be your name. When you give and you take away. Because we recognize that it's, it's not our faithfulness. That guarantee, it's not our position that guarantees our faithfulness. At the same time, our faithfulness, sometimes uh, the, the part that God can use can influence the faithfulness of others. That's, that's the, the responsibility part of it. 
We're not guaranteed to be faithful, but if we are, God can use that faithfulness in the lives of other people like Miss Lucy was for me. Now, four years before Miss Lucy, I told you about my youth minister. His name was Clem. Today was his birthday, and I texted him as I was leaving church, and I said, I'm talking about faithfulness this morning. I'm going to use you as an example. Clem was, uh, when you think of a typical youth minister, that was not the kind of youth minister Clem was. When you think of maybe kind of the last few uh, youth guys that have been at Eastwood. Uh, they were, they were kind of like him. They weren't the crazy youth minister with purple hair. They were, he wasn't the youth minister that was always concerned about making the kids play the coolest game. In fact, he was kind of a very serious kind of youth minister. And, and in fact, that's kind of what compelled me to, to, to get to know him because I've kind of been around the crazy youth guys. And this may come as a surprise to you, but I didn't have much use for him. I didn't have much use in going and playing in the mud and, and having crazy hair. But there was this guy who wasn't afraid to talk to a group of teenagers in a very serious tone about God and, and how they should live their lives for him if, and, and how to know him if they didn't know him. And I was just compelled by his example. And, and Clem was a, he was a full-time student. He was a, a full-time janitor at Sabine River Authority. He was married. I mean, he just had all these responsibilities on his plate, but he was faithful to us. And he was faithful kind of in the way that Hannah was, even, be, even beyond his responsibility. I remember when I, when I graduated seminary and I got my Master of Divinity, and I didn't even know he had my phone number. Somehow he got my phone number from someone and he called me. And, and I can't tell you how, how blessed I was just to hear him say, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing and keep on doing what you're doing. And I wasn't his youth anymore. He had no obligation to do that. But he was being faithful to what God had given him to do, even, even beyond his, his official role. And Hannah had this faithfulness, kind of this faithfulness from afar that she exercised in Samuel's life. You see in, in the text on your screen, uh, I, I put a couple different verses up there. Uh, but, but it talks about how she would go up, when they would go to, to do the sacrifices, she would go up and she'd make a robe for him. And, and the robe is probably the robe that's mentioned in Exodus 28, 31 that God prescribes for priests to wear. So you see Samuel, when it talks about him growing in the presence of the Lord, he's, he's sort of this apprentice priest. And she's making him a robe to sort of fit that role. And we're told that as a result that he's growing in the presence of the Lord. Now, it wasn't ultimately all that she did that allowed Samuel to be who she was. But we also know it probably wasn't Eli and what he did and, and, and his sons that did anything for Samuel either. I think he saw this example of his mother's faithfulness to, to do what she could do in his life, even though he wasn't really in her official authority. And I think her faithfulness influenced what Samuel's faithfulness would look like in the years to come. And who of us don't want to do that? Especially in regards to children, right? And grandchildren or, or nieces and nephews. We want them to see that faithfulness in our lives. And, and we want to see that faithfulness in their lives. I think one of the laments that, that my youth minister, Clem, has confided in me now years later is that, is that there aren't more teenagers that he feels like that have been faithful to God that have kind of come through his youth ministry. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's not really dependent on, on your role, is it? There's no guarantee. <laughs> you can't. I think if you ask Samuel, it wasn't a book. There was no book that says, here's 10 steps to making sure you have a godly kid. 
that, that she read to Samuel that produced faithfulness in his life. I think she was faithful to God. And she worried about her. You know, we say that to our kids. You worry about yourself, right? She worried about her relationship with God. And her kids saw that. Samuel saw that. And that influenced faithfulness in his life. And I think about some of the, the adults we have in our church that have had faithful parents like David Alvarado and, and Barrett and Leanne and Jill. And, and I think if you ask them, you know, what is it that has motivated you to strive not to be perfect, but to strive and be faithful to God? And I think they'd probably tell you more than some manual or more than some program that, that my parents put me through. It was just them striving in their own lives to be faithful. We saw that and that planted the seed for us to be faithful. And so part of our faithfulness to God involves influencing the faithfulness of others. But, but on the other hand, there comes a time when, when we also minister to those that have no faith. And so faithfulness also influences how we, we intercede use that word because that word's in our text. How it entails interceding for those that are faithless. That they don't have any faith. Now, interceding means going before God on behalf of someone else. Have you ever heard someone say something like, Man, if, if, you, really, if you really want to, to uh, be helped in your relationship with someone that you struggle with, if you really want to... Uh, Try and like someone that's someone that gets on your nerves. Well, just pray for them. Someone ever said that? You know, someone that just bothers you. Well, just pray for them and your attitude towards them will change. And I don't think that's bad advice, but I do think that if that's the reason you're doing it, it's kind of short-sighted. It kind of misses the whole point of it. I'm going to throw a couple of quotes up on the screen in, in a moment uh, that I think, I think kind of fill this idea out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in, in Life Together. It's this little book that he wrote to people in an underground seminary. And, and he fills this idea out, and you can read that quote. He says, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His faith that hitherto has been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the faith, the face of a forgiven sinner. So you see the difference for him? The difference for him isn't just, well, I see someone else differently. That's part of it. But, but it's a concern for everyone. It's a concern for the fellowship. That same concern that Miss Lucy had for, for her whole church and faithfulness to them and what that looked like. If you're really concerned with helping someone else be connected to God, honestly, your feelings about it, they don't matter. Whether they get on your nerves or not, it doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter. You put that aside and you intercede for them because your intercession can help them to be faithful. And if that doesn't motivate you, Philip Yancey says this in his book just called Prayer. He says, as Jesus once prayed for Peter, now he prays for us. In fact, the New Testament's only glimpse of what Jesus is doing right now depicts him at the right hand of God interceding for us. In three years of active ministry, Jesus changed the moral landscape of the planet. For nearly 2,000 years since, he has been using another tactic, prayer. You know, typically when we think about what Jesus, we think about Jesus, we think about what he's done in the past when he came to the world and he died on the cross and he rose again. And then we think of him coming back, right? And those are sort of the bookends of, of Jesus' life and ministry. But it says in the Gospel of John that Jesus is actively interceding for us right now. Gosh, that's a powerful thought. 
And, and it should convince us that there's something to this. There's something to interceding on someone else in the presence of God. It's not just, well, we'll just pray for you. It's, it's something that really can make a difference. And Jesus made intercession possible today in a way that it wasn't possible in the days of Samuel and, and the priest Eli. There's a, a text on your screen and, and this is what Eli the priest says to his sons who are committing all these horrible sins. He says, if one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? And, and that's not a rhetorical question. That's, that's an accurate understanding of in the Old Testament of the way they understood intercession. You couldn't intercede for someone else because, well, who are you? You're just a person. God's not... Inside of you, like he is today, now that Christ is, has given us the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at the Old Testament and you look at some of the ways God interceded, I mean, he did when people when people were sinning against one another. You think about uh, think about Noah. He, he went to intercede for the people. Ultimately, that wasn't very successful. You think about Jonah going to intercede for the Ninevites. That was successful. And you have moments like that all throughout the Old Testament where people are going to these other people and saying, you know, this, you're, you're sinning against one another and this is what God wants you to do. Think about the prophets. But when someone sinned against God, when someone approached the tabernacle incorrectly or they worshipped idols or they profaned sacrifices like Eli's son, ultimately, ultimately destruction and death was the result because who could who could intercede for them? But because of what Christ accomplished when he he arose and, and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, something actually happens when you go to God on behalf of someone else. You can intercede for someone else in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit that lives in you is moved to work on that person. Man, that changes the way we understand faithfulness, doesn't it? There's a radio show on NPR called This American Life. And on, on one show, the guy, the, the host, was talking about people who had, had gone, what he called, moved from plan A to plan B in their life. And he was talking about this. It was this an anecdotal kind of experience for him. It's not a survey uh, or, or a scientific survey. But he was talking about how he was speaking to a room full of people, uh, a couple hundred folks. And, and he asked everyone, you know, if you define plan A... As what you always thought your life would look like, as, as fate, the way fate would have it for you, how many of you, he asked, would still be living, are still living plan A right now? And he said, one person in the room raised their hand. And that person was 23. If all of us were honest, there's, there's parts of our lives that, that don't look like what we thought they would look like. I think if you ask Hannah, she'd say that she's definitely living plan B. Even though God's blessed her with children. Even though the first child she had, she, she made this commitment to giving to God. She's living plan B. That wasn't what she thought it would look like. But her faithfulness to plan B ensured God's faithfulness to Israel. And sometimes our faithfulness can ensure the faithfulness of our children. Of, of people that we meet, of, of the young teenager in the youth group that just needs a mentor. And it's dependent on, on us being faithful, not, not our status, not our job, not what, what we think we are because of what we've done, but because of our faithfulness to God. 
If God could use Hannah's plan B, He can use yours. What's God calling you in the midst of whatever you have going on? It may be unexpected. It may be different. It may not look like you even think it should. How is He calling you to be faithful today? Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are a God of redemption. That you take our lives and, and maybe even in, in your mind they, they look like they're supposed to, but, but they, they may not look like that for us. And God, as we, we struggle to be faithful in, in a world that is by and large faithless, God, I pray that you would focus us on the things that matter, on the accomplishments that matter. And on those that, that, that for whom that you can use us in their lives to produce faithfulness. God, give us the strength and give us the grace and give us the boldness to be faithful in the ways that you call us to. In Jesus' name.